this Friday night, not, uh, excuse me, the packing party, not uh, Saturday night, okay? So make sure that you mark your calendars correctly for that. All right, well, if you will, stand with me one more time just to get your blood circulating and let's honor the Lord by the reading of his word. We're in chapter 11 of Matthew's gospel. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6 today. When Jesus had finished giving instruction to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Amen. You may be seated, please. Okay, now as we start our journey into chapter 11, there'll probably be uh, three or four messages anyway. We've just completed chapter 10, and you heard Jesus in verse 1 give a summary of what chapter 10 was about. And that's what we were doing, is giving instructions or listening to those instructions. Now we're moving on a little bit here into a bit, bit of a different realm. I'm going to take a little bit of a liberty uh, with the text this morning. I think we're going to be pretty accurate or I wouldn't be preaching it. Uh, so, but you're not going to see some of these things directly, but I think they're in there underlying the surface. So I've titled the message today, Understanding and Overcoming Spiritual Doubts. Understanding and Overcoming Spiritual Doubts. Okay. Now, as you're thinking through that thought just for a moment, uh, no doubt, and you may not be shocked by this, you may be shocked by this, but we are emotional people, Right? Is that true? Yeah. We are very emotional people. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with emotions necessarily. Emotions and feelings, and I'm using those two terms synonymously, do really motivate us a lot. They can motivate us for the good, but they can also motivate us for the bad. In fact, how many times have you heard someone say, um, I made this decision because it just felt right? Okay, now, that's kind of a simple statement, but we use it a lot. You know, we go by what we feel in life to make our decisions about things. And so I'm just kind of making the point for us. I'm, again, not saying feelings are bad, so don't hear that. But too often, our feelings do lie to us. They create in us certain things that really shouldn't be there or at least may be wrong. And as a result, will lead us down paths that are not good for us. And I'm speaking spiritually here, certainly, and that's because that's the subject of today. And it's all because emotions predominantly are not founded upon truth. And again, I want to be careful. I want you to hear me correctly in this. So again, don't hear that I'm saying we should be robotic and we should not have any kind of emotions. I'm not saying that at all. But we do need to be careful that when we are having some feeling or some emotion about something, that it's being based appropriately, that it's founded appropriately, which would be on the truth. Unfortunately, most of the time, and the things that we go through are coming as a result of what we're feeling at the moment. As I said a second ago, I did this or I made this decision, I acted upon this or that because it just seemed to feel right, which is why we often wake up in the mornings and we say, you know, I feel really good today, so it's going to be a good day. Or I wake up in the morning and I look at what I have to do and my emotions tell me it's going to be a really bad day. And so I decide before I ever leave the house that it's going to be one day or the other. 
Right? So, again, just making the point clear to us that we are more emotional in our lives than we like to give ourselves credit for. And I think we need to admit that. God's people, and we could say, boy, I hope that's not me. I hope that as God's person, child, I'm not like that. But we're here in this room today agreeing that, yeah, I can make emotional decisions. Maybe you're looking back on your life right now and you're saying, oh, if I'd only heard this years ago. I wouldn't have made these emotional decisions. Well, God's people are not immune from the things that we're talking about here. We're very much involved with what our emotions are telling us at times. Just this morning, I got a text from a friend of mine who shared a story about a friend of his from some years ago that he wanted to share with me because it turns out to be a real blessing. And I wrote it down here, and I just want to share the first part of it because it will set the stage for us in some ways so that we'll see what's happening to John as we look at the text more clearly. So he writes that, I have a friend who is a great example of God's restoration, again, after isolation for a year to a year and a half of falling into depression and anxiety while the enemy was operating under the radar in his mind. I like how he writes that, under the radar in his mind. No prayer no desire to read God's word, no community, a perfect storm for the enemy to get a foothold. I think that it's amazing how God sends stuff and gives to me things to share with you just like he did. Literally, again, that just came to me this morning early. I think this story gives evidence that God knows in a good way that we're lost at times. Now, this person had given their life to Christ years ago, and you'll, you'll hear this as we get to the second part of this in a little bit. But somewhere along the way, he had gotten into spiritual doubt. There had been some things that occurred. Evidently, I don't know what they were, that caused him to lose his focus. And the good news is, again, that God knows that. He knows that we get lost at times and need a lot of help. We need to get back on track and even stay on track. And thankfully, God in his love for us has given us some instruction along the way to help us to do just that and not be guided by our emotions alone. And the greatest truth that we have is what we should see as obvious is God's word because it never changes. The psalmist writes in Psalm 33:11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Listen to that again. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. He is unchanging. In fact, Jesus will later say, if you want a New Testament passage in Matthew 24, we haven't gotten there yet, but we will. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. In other words, you can take this to the bank. This is truth that will not fade away, speaking of his word. And he will also say, John records this in his gospel of chapter 17, verse 17, speaking in his own prayer to the Father, Jesus will say, your word is what? truth. Your word is truth. And so the greatest truth we have in this life is God's word. Now this morning, I want to give to you a couple thoughts about why we have spiritual doubts. And it comes right out of these verses. You may not see them at first glance. I didn't. I actually went through this whole thing and put my outline together. Monday morning is what I commonly do. And then at the end of the day, I thought I read some things and I thought, boy, I got to redo this. And so you don't see this at first glance, but God really made it clear to my mind as I pushed through it. So let me just help you to see a couple of these things. Notice in verse 2, we're told that John was in prison. Okay? 
the Spirit writes, or Jesus has John record, excuse me, Matthew record this, while John was in prison. Now, this is John the Baptist. This is not John of the Gospel of John. This is John the Baptist. And so I'm simply saying from this verse that spiritual doubts often occur when we are under difficult circumstances. That's point number one. Often difficult or spiritual doubts, perplexity, if you will. I'm not talking about losing faith. This is more about perplexity, confusion, comes when we're under difficult circumstances. Now, again, I want to be careful here because I don't want to give the impression that John was doubting his faith. I don't think we could say that about John and be accurate. And we know that because of several things that we know about John. We know that he was the son who was promised to a man named Zacharias and a woman, Elizabeth, by an angel who both people were well advanced in years. They were beyond childbearing years. In fact, Elizabeth was uh, barren. I should say it better that way, maybe not beyond childbearing years. But God was certainly going to have to intervene here and do something miraculous. Both Zacharias and Elizabeth were righteous people, we're told in Luke 1 through 6. That means that they walked blamelessly, according to Luke, with God, following his commandments and requirements of the Lord. So these were godly people. This was the kind of household that you would want a son to come from, not to mention the fact that God was there with John and God actually put his spirit in him. In fact, that's what we're told by the angel that when Zacharias is visited, he says that he will have a son and even tells him what to name him. And so this is an amazing encounter. And it would be John who would be the man that Jesus would later say in Luke's gospel, at least Luke records it this way, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he will drink no wine or liquor and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And just a little footnote there, the wine and the liquor part means that he'll have a vow unto the Lord that he'll keep himself pure from the things that the Nazarenes believed it was wrong to, t to take part in. And so John was a man who was a great spiritual giant. He was an amazing man. And Scripture verifies all of that for us as well. In fact, if you followed the life of John at all, you know that he lived alone in the wilderness. He had an amazing diet. Uh, I guess, I don't know if this totally makes him vegan or not, but he was eating locusts and wild honey. I mean, I guess, Rick, we can talk about it later, but um, the locusts, did the locusts take it out? Okay, yeah, that's true. So anyway, a crazy diet, right? But he was a man who had set himself apart. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was working in him. That's obvious from what we said. Continually with the message proclaiming the gospel of repentance, this is what his message was to everyone, saying that people are to turn from their sin because the king is coming. He was the forerunner. He was the guy that God sent ahead of Jesus to be the proclaimer of righteousness and get your hearts right. The king is coming. The king is coming. And so again, he was an amazing man. In just a few verses, Jesus will say of him, in Matthew 11, verse 11, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. I was telling the first service this morning, I would love to have that kind of commentary on my life from Jesus. Wouldn't you? The Lord Christ himself looking across our room this morning saying, you're the greatest and you're the greatest. and you're." The... No, he didn't do that. He said of this man, John the Baptist, was the greatest man or person who had ever been born to women. That's a pretty high accolade. 
So John evidently was a very spiritual man. He was a spiritual giant, if you want to put it that way. But the reality is John was just like you and me. He was human. He was 100% human. He was not deity. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, yet from his mother's womb. But he was still a human, meaning in his humanness, just like you and me, he was driven by his emotions at times. His emotions would take over and lead him down paths that were not exactly right. And no more is that evident than in what we see here this morning. So let me just set the context for you, and I've already alluded to this pretty clearly, and hopefully you're picking up on it. Too often we read through verses and we just skim through things, but when the Lord says to us where John was, we need to pause on that for a minute. He was in prison. I don't know if you've ever been to prison or not, but it's not a great place. John was in prison, and he's there because he has been accused by Herod Antipas, who was Herod the Great's son, or at least one of them, for taking his own brother, who was Philip, his wife, to be his wife. In other words, Herod was living in adultery. His brother's still living. It was not legally right for him to take another woman, but yet he did. And so John, being the voice that he was crying in the wilderness, kept calling him out on it. And Herod evidently got tired of it. And put him in prison for it. And you can read all about that in chapter 14. And we'll get to the details of that whenever we get to chapter 14. So that's kind of the stage there. But even though John was God's man, his current situation evidently caused him to have a time of doubt, at least for a moment. Now again, don't hear me say losing his faith. He didn't lose his faith. But he certainly did have times of questioning. More like, again, a state of confusion or perplexity over kind of those times in life where you just shake your head and you're like, Lord, what's going on right now? This doesn't seem to be adding up to everything that I knew to be true, or at least that I thought. And that's not uncommon for God's people. We have record of the 12 and the times that Jesus got after them, sort of, and and I say that in a loving way, where he challenged them because of their lack of faith. You see that in chapter 8, verse 26. He says, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? You know, they knew that Jesus was different. They knew that he was God come in the flesh. At least they were learning that. But yet they had moments in time where under difficult circumstances, they began to be doubtful. We read in Matthew 14, 31, Jesus stretching out his hand, took hold of a man and healed him and says to the disciples again, you men of little faith, why do you doubt? Well, they doubted because they were human and the Lord knew that. But the reality is they were human and that's what humans do. We go through times of doubt. And if you're listening to this carefully, you can understand what John even may have been experiencing at the time. Again, how many times have you wondered why you're having to go through what you're going through? You may not live there. You may not stay there. But if you're a human being, you've had the questions of why you're having to do what you're doing or why life is the way it is. You may not be in a literal prison, and if you're here this morning, you're not in a little prison. But some people have been there, but you certainly feel like the effects of life have caused itself to be a prison, maybe locked away in some things that are just very, very challenging. Maybe you have a a child that's not following the Lord, living the life that you've called them to live or raised them to live. Maybe you're a person who's found out that you have a terminal sickness, And there are people in our lives that are like that, that are hearing these kind of things today. Maybe you're hearing that uh, you're losing your job. 
and it just doesn't make sense to you. What's really going on here? Or some other great difficulty, such as when you're watching a family member lose their mind, a loved one who doesn't live in the right frame of reference anymore, being told to do something that goes against everything that you believe is right. And I'm just making up things that are coming to me in in my world and in my sense. You're living your own life right now and all the experiences that you're going through. And so continuously you fight, or at least find yourself fighting to keep your head above water. And it seems like that's the best that you can do for whatever you're going through, and especially to keep life from being too overwhelming. And all of that under the umbrella of having given your life to the Lord. Where you said, Lord, I believe you are God and I trust you as my Lord and my master and I surrender to you. And so you don't doubt that he is who he is, but yet you're questioning what's going on in your life. You know he can change things, but will he? Maybe you're saying, I've studied scriptures, the scripture for years, thinking life would be a certain way. But then you realize it hasn't gotten any easier. It's not changed any. In fact, there's no noticeable results from the years that have been in life and studying the things of God, at least none that you can see, and so you begin to doubt. Again, not lose your faith, but questioning, Lord, what's going on? You realize all that you thought about spiritual life is just unfolding differently than what you thought it would be originally. So, Just put yourself in John's place and think about what was happening. He was isolated from everybody he loved. In fact, some commentators have said that he may have been in prison at this point up to a year by now. And I don't know if you know anything about the prisons in those days, but they were a different different kind of place. Not able to live his normal life. Easy to get confused about spiritual life in a situation like that. When everything has changed. So... And I don't know, this is where I'm taking some liberty, but I'm just trying to answer the question in my own mind between the Spirit and me. He may have thought, is this my reward for the faithful years of service? This is what I get? Taking a vow to serve you, abstaining from all the pleasures in life, and living as a wild man out on the countryside, wearing camel hair of all things? Again, I don't know this to be the case, and I want to be very careful here. But I do think he was tempted It was a great time of temptation for him under very difficult circumstances, maybe even to think he was forgotten, maybe questioning, am I right about all of this? Am I missing something along the way? Had I really done what God wanted me to do? I'm just simply saying that in difficult times comes great opportunity for our spirits to begin to question things. And so the point is simply be aware of your circumstances. See them for what they are and remember that that's the point in which Satan will tempt you the most to doubt and to question. Secondly, spiritual doubt can come when we're faced with information that doesn't match our thinking. I've already alluded to that. I already said that in as much. But look at verse 2, the second part of it. John hears of the works of Christ. So he's in prison in this darkened place and he hears of the work of Christ and we're told That as he hears about Jesus, he hears about all that he's doing, but something still was keeping him from understanding, at least being confident in the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. And again, maybe it's what we said. 
Maybe it's all the above. Or maybe he was just struggling by the fact that, or with the fact that he had lived his life proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah, but nothing was happening in Israel even. Maybe John was kind of caught up in the moment of what the Pharisees were caught up in, which was when the Messiah comes, he's going to rid us of this blight called Rome. And John now is in prison, and maybe he's going, but the Messiah that I thought I was preparing the way for was going to come and take care of some of these physical things. Speculation on my part. So again, I'm taking some liberties here. So at least when he hears of the healings of Jesus, he knows that something's not quite right in his thinking. Something's not matching his thinking. And so I think we just simply have to be aware that when things in life don't turn out the way we think they should or will, spiritual doubt can creep in. In other words, when you think life should go a certain direction because of dot, 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 dot that's preceded this, but it doesn't go that way, just be careful, walk carefully with the Lord because that's when Satan can tempt you the most. So the questions then become, and there are many more things that could come out of this, but I just pulled these two because I wanted to stick with the text as much as I could. How do we overcome these times of doubt? When things are really difficult and when my thinking doesn't really match what's going on, well, we have some answers here in verses 2 and 3. Notice number one, by always going to the source of truth. That's how you overcome doubt. I don't look to the world. I don't look for other answers, but I go to the source. Notice what John did in verse 2. He sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? You see, John could have just given up, right? That could have been the first response. Well, I'm stuck in prison. I'm not going to leave this place. Herod hates me. There's no way he's going to let me out. His humanness, his emotions could have taken over, in other words. And he could have just given up. He could have resigned himself to the emotional turmoil of it all and just said, I'm never going to be any different and all the other things that we've mentioned and just lived in his perplexed state of mind. But that's not what he did. He took the next step, which was always the right step, and that is to go directly to Jesus. Again, as I alluded to this a moment ago, just so you know, prison in John's day was not like it is here. I've been in the prison. Some of you have been in the prisons. Some of you work for the penal system. You know what it's all about. In this country, it's not such a bad deal, at least as far as having your essential needs met. Now, I'm not advocating for anybody to go have their needs met in prison. I'm not saying that. But I am saying in this country, it's quite different than it is in other places. In fact, I was in the Dominican Republic one time, and not to mention Mexico. My wife and family, we were in Mexico and went to a jail. But I was in the Dominican Republic one time, and we went to do a prison session, if you will. And there, if you're going to get anything as an inmate, and I'm talking about clothing or food or whatever, your family has to bring it to you. Medications, doesn't matter. They just kind of shove you in there, lock the door, and say, tough luck, buddy. If you want something, you hope somebody cares about you, because we sure don't. And so in John's day, that's what he was facing, except for the fact that he had these disciples of his, who I'm assuming did the caring for him. At least they were the ones that he calls and says, go to Jesus and get some answers for me. And I think part of what we need to know is when, he, when we go to Jesus, he gives us people to help us. I mean, that's awesome, isn't it? When we don't have Jesus physically in our presence, 
there are people in our lives that can help us be the kind of people that we need to be and get through situations in our life that we need to get through. And so we don't want to ignore the people in our lives. We don't want to ignore the blessing and the hope and the help that people can give to us. That's why the scripture says, don't forsake yourselves the assembling of one another. It's essential that we have each other in our lives and, and listen to the people because God will often speak through people in our lives. Now, I told you that I was going to give you the part two of what happened this morning in that text. And here's the part two with the friend of mine who sent this to me. He says, I've been spending God-orchestrated time with this other friend that has had the faith issue for over a couple of months, and he is now experiencing victory over everything the enemy was trying to instill in his deceiving and seductive ways in his later journey in life. I was actually shocked when he called me months ago and went to visit him and saw his condition then and knowing how rock-solid his faith used to be. An eye-opener again to what we already know about how powerful the enemy's schemes and tactics are in each individual. A couple of months ago, when we first started meeting and praying, God impressed upon my mind to take him to Sugar Hollow and stand where God revealed himself as the sun was rising as I drank whiskey through his creation to me 35 years ago. Now, the friend telling this story was not currently drinking the whiskey, but they were saying that that's where he used to go years ago when he wasn't living for the Lord. I took him that same day, God impressed me, to the mouth of the North Fork of the Mormons River as it enters the reservoir. Another brother had texted me a song earlier that day and said, maybe it's one for your trip to the reservoir. Well, we got there and stood approximately where I had 35 years ago and tried to play the YouTube song, which neither had never heard. In other words, neither of us had heard that song. I would only download, it would only download halfway due to no signal and the location. With the phone frozen and no song, I held up my phone and looked upward saying, Help me, Father. The song miraculously started playing, even though the bar never started moving across the, the screen. We stood there with tears in our eyes and one hand held high and the other on each other's shoulder, listening to this beautiful song called, I Speak Jesus. God again revealed his continual presence in our lives and confirming again the truth of his word, to God be the glory. Now, I share that with you simply because it's a very fit illustration of how when we don't have Jesus physically like John did in his life, we do have people. We have one another. And I'm a big proponent in that. That's why I do so much counseling, because I know how much we can help each other listening to one another. And that's a beautiful illustration of how God moved in the heart of one brother to help another brother overcome some things in his life. But again, as much as people help us, there's nothing like going to the source. Going to God himself, who is the Lord Jesus in our case, as we're speaking of him specifically in the context here. And anywhere we can go to him through prayer. This is the vital important link between our relationship with God and Jesus is through prayer. We have his word, the Bible that sits in your hands right now. You can look to that and get God's word directly into your heart. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through the word of the Lord. His Spirit teaches us and gives us, gives us all the truth that we need to live this life. In fact, the psalmist said in Psalm 119.9, How can a young man keep his way pure? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? How am I supposed to keep my way pure? How am I supposed to live in this life? What are the answers for getting me through what I need to get through? Well, the psalmist says, by keeping it according to your word. 
With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's the word of the Lord. The things of God. But of course, Satan doesn't want us to hear that. So Satan comes along and tempts us with things like, oh, that's not going to do you any good. What's the point in praying? What's the point in reading? Look at your situation. Does God really care about you? You see, that's really what Satan always tempts us with, isn't it? You go with me back to the Garden of Eden, and that's the great question to Eve. Did God really say? That is the never-ending statement of temptation. Everything can be wrapped up into that one statement when we're tempted. Did God really say? And that's when we get off track. Our emotions start listening to our situation, and we start hearing in our minds, not recognizing that it's Satan, But God, did you, are you, will you, have you, are you going to? You see, it's the same lie all the time. And I think John was wrapped up in some of that. It's exactly what happens when people are going through troubling times. You don't feel like reading the Word of God. Didn't do me any good last time. Or maybe you read it and you were hoping that something great was going to come out of it and it didn't happen according to the way you thought it should happen. God had a different plan and so you start thinking this is just a waste of time. Well, the reality is that's just Satan. You just have to chalk it up to that. He's tempting me through all the things that are troubling me and things I can't do for myself. But the truth is God's word is the truth. And Jesus made that very clear, and it refreshes our souls and points us back always to what the truth is. And so John, in his day, even though he was blessed, he had Jesus' physical presence still on the earth, and so he could send his disciples to him, and he got some amazing news. Listen to this news in verse 4. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report this to John, what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now, Matthew doesn't record this quite the same or is at least with the same clarity as Luke does. Now, Luke makes it very clear in, ver- in chapter 9 that Jesus actually did these miracles in front of them. Matthew does allude to that when he says what you hear and see. But Luke makes it very clear. So it's like he's kind of huddling the guys up and saying, okay, okay, here's what I want you to go tell John. Watch this. And he does these amazing things right in their presence, giving very physical evidence of what the prophets had foretold. In fact, Matthew uses Old Testament scripture through Jesus to record what Jesus has said. He's referring back to Isaiah 35 when he says, The eyes of the blind will be open and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. That was written hundreds of years before Jesus came along the scene. And so as John's disciples come around him and he does these things, he quotes this and he says, go tell John this. He quotes Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. Now, he doesn't say that specifically in the text of what we just read, but he's reminding John of everything John would know. And so John knew or Jesus knew that when John saw these things and heard these things, there'd be no mistaken that Jesus is in fact the Messiah. And that was all the assurance he needed. 
Here's the second thing to overcome doubt, spiritual doubt. When we accept Jesus as God and not the God we want him to be. And this is very important, and I hope you listen carefully to this. Notice in this one verse, we get all of this understanding in verse 6. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Okay, so the context is John asks the question. He's perplexed as to whether Jesus is really the Messiah. Jesus gives this information back to the disciples. And then Jesus adds this line here in verse 6. Blessed are those who are not offended at me. That word blessed means happy. We saw that in the Sermon on the Mount. Take offense at me is the idea of stumbling over. Blessed are those people, happy are those people who don't stumble over me. NIV actually records this probably the clearest by saying it this way. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Who does not fall away on account of me. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, be careful when your thinking doesn't match what my thinking is all about. In other words, again, we can have a lot of good advice for the Lord, can't we? We can tell the Lord all about what we think should be or what should not be in our lives. We can make all kinds of suggestions. But when it doesn't happen, that's when we get into trouble. We start following things in our heart and in our emotions that are going to lead us down a wrong path. And so the Lord is saying, look... Don't stumble over me. Don't trip over me. Don't let what I do cause you to somehow go backwards in your faith. That's not how this works. He's saying basically, I am God. This is my world. I am free to do with it as I will. You are my servants. You're not the boss of me. You do what I say. Now, Jesus, in his own way, would say it far more loving than I'm coming across right now because he just has that ability. But basically, that's the case. Paul would pick up this same thing in Romans 9 and say it this way. Who are you, O man, who answers back to God? And basically, the thought is, will the molded or the clay say to the potter, why did you make me like this? Our grandson Everett I remember at one point when they lived in Chicago, would love to play with Play-Doh, and even our granddaughter play with Play-Doh. And one of the fun things to do, and you've done this yourself, I'm sure, is you make stuff, and it's so cool. And then a kid comes along and slams it, right? Smashes it. Well, the idea is kind of the same there, is that the Lord is the maker of us all. But yet so often we want to come along and smash what he's done and try to recreate something better. And the Apostle Paul is saying, no, that's not how this works. Jesus is saying, that's not how this works. People can't make me who they want me to be. You serve me as the God of who I am or as the God that I am. And people will do that again because they don't like the way things are going in life. They'd rather it be some other way. Or it's because they're being driven by their emotions. And again, it all fits the same way. If I'm driven by my emotions, then I'm going to try to dictate to God what I think is right. Or I'm going to listen to what I'm feeling inside and I'm going to assume that this is the right way. This is the right path. People break up their marriages over this kind of thing. I just don't love them anymore. Or I don't feel in love anymore. And so I'll marry this person. I'll leave this person. I'll go do this. And it just happens all the time. We try to make the Lord the same way. God, I want you to be a different God. 
I don't like the way you're doing this. And so, aha, I have that aha moment and I'll say, you know what? I'll leave some of this scripture out and I'll add something of my own to make it all fit the way I think it should fit. And so then I'm okay to make this decision or that decision or go here or go there or do whatever in this life because everything that doesn't seem to feel right for me, I'll just recreate it and make him the God I want him to be instead of the God who he really is. But Jesus says to do that is to stumble over me and that will create doubt, which is really what the world does, but we're capable of doing the same thing. So he's saying all who accept me for who I am don't stumble. In other words, if you and I will just accept the fact that we're living the life the Lord has planned for us to live, if we're following him, if we're surrendered to him, we're not going to stumble over him. We may question at times. We may wonder at times, but we'll always come back to the same resolve, which will be, I'm your servant, Lord. Do with me what you see fit. And so when the difficult times come, we're not overwhelmed by them. But Jesus says, in fact, you will be the blessed ones. You'll be the happy ones. Isn't it relieving to let God just be God and say, Lord, here's what I think should happen. Boy, this is what I would really like, and I sure wish you would do this, or I pray that you'll do it this way, but then come back and say, but God, I'm so thankful that you're in charge. You see, we come to the mountain and we say, Lord, I just need this mountain moved out of the way. And then I could see clearly what's going on on the other side. And God says, you don't need to worry about that because I can see on the other side. All you need to do is trust me. We get the vertical off with the, I mean, the, the vertical off with the horizontal. And we look this way so much that we forget about looking vertically and keeping our hearts and our eyes focused on who God is and what he wants for us. The best thing we can do is say, Lord, not that we don't come to him and give our opinion and express our heart's desires, but ultimately we have to come back and say, God, you're God and I'm not, and I'll follow you. Jesus says, those are the people who don't stumble over me. Those are the people who are blessed. They see me for who I am. That was John. Go show John this, and this will remind him, I'm the God you've been looking for. I am the Messiah, and you're not going to stumble over me. And in fact, we'll see that next time how... Jesus talks about John. Now, as we close, let me give you one more way to keep from spiritually doubting. From spiritually doubting. Notice Matthew. I want to take you back to verse 1. It's really interesting how this is kind of nestled in this without really seeing it at first. It looks like it's just kind of the context, and it is. But it's really a beautiful picture here. When Jesus had finished giving instruction to the 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, what I take from that is, if you just look at Jesus for a minute, Jesus was the model, right? He's always the model. And in this verse, he shows us that no matter what was happening to him, he just kept doing what he came to do. He never got distracted from what his father called him to do. In fact, he said that, I only do what the Father tells me to do. He was in constant prayer with the Lord, and he didn't make any course corrections. He didn't go, yeah, but. Uh, he didn't ever say, Father, I don't like this. He did offer up his heart when he said, Lord, I really wish you would take this away from me, or Father, I wish you'd take this away from me, but nevertheless, what? You remember what he said? Not my will, but your will be done. 
So he felt the emotions as a human being and as God, though he was able to submit to the Father perfectly all the time. In fact, that's what he did in his dying hour. That doesn't mean, again, he didn't struggle and that he didn't feel the temptations that we feel. I love the passage that tells us how he struggled with every temptation that we are struggling with. That doesn't mean he gave in to it. He was sinless. But he knows every temptation that you and I face. But to keep from being overwhelmed and overcome by it, he stayed focused on the task. And that's really the point. If we want to overcome spiritual doubt, we have to stay focused on the task. One of the, Some of the worst mistakes that have led into doubt and confusion spiritually have been when people stop staying focused on the task. In other words, when they just stop living life for God. That's what I was talking about before. They're walking this way and something comes along and they get confused by it and they start serving themselves and what they want instead of just following the Lord. But that's not what the Lord did. His model to us is, no, no matter what's going on, you just stay focused on what God is telling you to do. Stay with his word, keep reading it, keep praying it, keep doing everything God shows you in his word, and God will keep you on track and you'll stay on track with him. And when the times of temptation and doubt come, you won't be swayed by your emotions and your own opinions about things. Even if you have all of that, which are okay, You'll come back to the word, you'll come back to the source, and you'll remember that this life is about God and not necessarily what I want, and so you'll be able to submit to him. So, very simply then, how do we keep from falling into the pit of spiritual doubt? Well, it's just what we said. You go to the source, always. In your darkest moment, in the times that you're trying to figure things out, go to the source, keep Jesus as the God that he is, don't make him some other God and stick to the task that he's given to you. Okay? Amen? All right. Well, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for very simple truths, but very profound truths. Lord, there's not one of us in this room that hasn't been through or even maybe currently going through a time of perplexity, questioning a little bit about what you're doing and and. Not so much who you are. I don't think John was questioning you as God, but he certainly was questioning a lot of things about you. And so, Father, I think as we go through our days, we just need a lot of focused attention on who you are and what you've called us to do. Lord, we ask that you would give us clarity as we go through things that we're just not certain how to navigate. Help us to see things from your eyes and from your perspective so that we don't get lost in our own emotions or our feelings about things. And Lord, above all, help us not to create you to be some God that you're not, to live some life that makes us feel good about things but not really about what you may want us to go through. It's pretty obvious that it was your divine plan for John to be, yes, your man, but also to go through the things that he did. We're so thankful, Lord, that you understand our weaknesses. You understand our times of uh, confusion, our times of lack of clarity. And we're so thankful, Lord, that you have the answer because you see all things perfectly. So help us stay the task. Help us to just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep like the footprints in the sand poem says, just stepping in the feet of Jesus as we go along our way. 
And Lord, we know we will not stumble. So we thank you and we praise you and ask this all in Jesus' name.